Hi, and welcome to No BS Women's Health, the podcast giving a big voice to the things women worry about. I'm Chloe Bunter, Pilates teacher, trainer, and creator of the Pilates Instructor Hub. My mission is to help you feel empowered in your body to move fearlessly. And I'm Kate Spina, nutritionist, award-winning chef, eating disorder survivor, helping you feel more confident about what you eat. Together, we're delivering the truth bombs you need to feel more empowered about your health, physical, emotional, and mental. If you find this episode helpful, we'd love you to leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with other women in your life. Hello, Chloe. Hello, everyone. Hi, Kate. Hi, everyone. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks, Kate. Um, What's going on? Well, you know what? I was thinking about women a lot yesterday um, as I went for the inaugural bra shopping uh, expedition. Um, (laughs) And... I say inaugural because I am, I don't know if anyone who's listening can relate to this. I find bra shopping a little on the overwhelming side. Yeah, it's pretty common, I think. Like, I just feel, I feel like every time I go in there, I seem to be a different size. It's like, if I could just know that I am this size and that this style is going to fit and I'll be happy with it, then yay. But yeah. instead I walk in and um, I look around. It's like sometimes, you know, when you're presented with a smorgasbord yeah. and it's all of a sudden just like, oh, God, now I don't know what to eat. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to choose. Or there's too many things on the menu. That's how I feel yeah. about bra shopping. And then, you know, I just was having this really lovely moment with um, the person who was working at the shop. She was so wonderful. I just walked in and I just went up to her and I said, I just need to be really overt and go, this is overwhelming to me. Um, I actually feel like turning around and walking out. That's how overwhelming I found it. And she's like, yeah, let's work this out together. And she was just so freaking cool. Like, I was just like, yeah, come on in. What do you think? Is this, oh, yeah. Not. Like, she just had this beautiful way of making me feel so at ease being there talking about boobs and different size boobs and, you know, all of this. Um, and we just had this conversation about how beautiful it actually is that it is not a one-size-fit-all right? That they can't like, you know, and that's what makes this so challenging, we figured out, is that it's not like they can just get this mould of these boobs and every boob's going to be that size and every cup size is going to equal that and everyone, it's actually this unique, this unique awesomeness to all of us that our boobs aren't (laughs) one and the same. And in fact, it's very unusual that both of the boobs on our own body are the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine aren't. So I was just thinking about women and how cool we are and how unique and also how as women we can provide this real – like she just – I mean, as soon as I walked – I mean, I let her know how fabulous I thought. I actually called her the boob whisperer, uh, (gasps) which she felt quite chuffed with. And I said, I'm walking out so excited because of you and I'm so excited about all this new lingerie and I'm feeling like – and she's like, oh, my gosh, that just makes me feel so good. 
And then the first thing I did was jump onto uh, the website and give her a review. Oh, that's lovely. Isn't that nice when you can do that? Yes. So please do that more, I think, for everyone. I think when you have a really great experience with in, in whatever, you know, whatever service industry that might be in, let them know and also put it in writing. Yeah. She went so- she went to a lot of effort. She really she she was just incredibly skilled, but her her skills in um her interpersonal skills like literally left me beaming. And a a situation that would have been overwhelming and stressful was actually really fun. <laughs> like I had fun. That's awesome because trying on bras can be awkward at the best of times, especially when there's someone there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think we've probably all had that that experience too, where you don't particularly gel with the person, and then they're wanting to come in and show me, show me, let me look, no, let me adjust that for you, and it's like, yeah, nah, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Whereas yeah. with her, I was like, oh, what do you think? What do you think of this one? Yeah, this one, come, on, yeah. <laughs> so yes. So anyway, I was just think I was just thinking about how awesome women are, and how unique our bodies are, and that doesn't that just keep things interesting, and yeah. So that's how I am. Had a good boob experience. Good boob experience. A great way to start your week. Yeah. What about you? Fantastic. Um, oh, look, I can't say I had a particularly fantastic boob experience yesterday. Oh. Like, but I'm I'm just thinking that, yes, maybe I should have factored that in. Quietly appreciated them in my own way, I guess. <laughs> let's, let's just say that I think, yeah. I'm sure there was a moment there I went, thank goodness I've got you guys. Um, No, what am I doing? So getting to the end of two weeks of school holidays, so which haven't been as relaxing and chilled as I'd planned them to be, which, you know, so I've got a little bit of mum guilt going on at the moment because I planned planned a little bit of time off to um, spend with my three little ones and ended up actually taking on a really big work project. And so I've been juggling. So been doing the juggle. The doing last, the mum juggle. The mum work juggle, which I hadn't planned at all. I actually was going, right, I've blocked off some time. Um, but did the mum work juggle. So um, that sort of came to an end um, yesterday. So feeling, uh, feeling a lot calmer now, but that's never nice. That's never nice when you've got the guilts about, oh. That sounds doing- like, could that be an episode of? Oh, yeah. Episode? Yeah, like because any mums out there listening, this is what we all did in lockdown, didn't we? That juggle of trying to work, trying to be with your kids, trying right. to do all that stuff, and then feeling like you just sucked at all of it. Oh, Which, I'm sure I- you didn't. <laughs> Look, you know. Like, logically, like, I know I did the best I could, I think. Um, I think everyone just tried the best they could. But, yeah, it's there's no win-win. There's no winners. There's just survivors. Mm. So, <laughs> anyway, that's where I'm at. So, Well, um, shout out to you and all the other mums out there doing so, doing the juggle. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but it's all good. It's all good. We've made it through the other side. Everyone's happy. I think we're planning burgers for dinner. So, yeah. It's it feels good, but are um, you making them? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna make them. Yeah, 
Um, Yum. <laughs> Homemade burgers sound amazing. So much fun. Must have them with brioche buns. Hot yum, tip. Yum, yum. Okay, well, um, that all sounds delicious. So, so yay. And is it also yay to end of school holidays or not? Oh, mixed emotions? Fun. Yeah, mixed emotions. Um, I love having the kids. I love school holidays with the kids. Right. But it is sort of nice to get back into a routine where, like, you know, I have a bit more time for work because I'm busy. Yeah. But, yeah, mixed emotions. Mixed emotions. Wow. Well, we're probably going to get some emotions out today, really, aren't we? Um... (laughs) You're already there, Chloe. I'm just keeping them. (laughs) <laughs> she's keeping them she's keeping them under the little little and they're about to burst out yeah um, so yeah so we've got another and first of all massive shout out to to our, our listeners thank you for being um passionate and supportive and we're loving 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 hearing your feedback and how you are implementing some of the tips that we're giving in these episodes. We've had some some great um, messages through on how you're thinking about how how you eat and how you're reflecting on um, what intuitive eating um, could mean for you and starting some of you are starting on your intuitive eating journeys for the first time, which um, has been pretty cool. And uh, Kate. I want to say thank you because I'm getting more intuitive with my eating and more curious and um, that's been really interesting for me um, and bringing mindfulness to that and I loved, I've really reflected on, which I know a lot of our listeners have as well, on that concept of uh, if you're not keeping food in the house, that's not control, it's just geography. Yeah. And, and that one has really resonated with me lately. It's like, I do that. Like, I really do that. And, um, notice how, yeah, and how can I change my relationship with those foods so that I can actually have them in the house? Yeah. Like, and that, that, belief that you're controlling your eating behavior by not having them having those foods like easily accessible Mm. it's so much tension there's no control there's yeah there's just distance and you're not actually practicing behaviors and attitudes towards those foods that are going to help you like the idea is to be almost bored with you know and I mean I love getting excited about food but there's, you know, there's that that appreciation that sometimes I'm going to get excited about chocolate, sometimes I'm going to get excited about mangoes, sometimes like tonight I'm really excited about burgers, other times I'll be excited about salad and other times I'm going to be bored with all those foods but there's no tension. Mm, there's yeah. no of who's in control today. I, I, I'm really, it's, it's, it's really stuck with me. And also um, what I messaged you about the other day, I only just, when you were talking about, and I'm wondering, because I know we've got listeners of our vintage, our vintage, the Gen Xs. Hey, go team Gen X. I'm like, <laughs> sorry here for team Gen X. Um, uh, yeah, listeners of our vintage. 
And I was really because you talked a lot about in last uh, episode intuitive eating. For those that might have come in onto this episode where we're going to be talking about PMS, um, make sure you jump back to um, intuitive eating because it's just like mind blowing probably for a lot of us. Um, but where you spoke, Kate, about also uh, intuitive eating and taking it back to how you first ate when you were a child and tapping back into um, natural, like recognising hunger and not fearing it and also um, recognising Sadie. And I was reflecting back on how in my era, and I don't know, I don't, I'd say this wouldn't be across the board, but it was definitely in my household that basically you sat at the table until you finished everything on your plate. And I still distinctly remember because I hated mashed things. My brother yeah. and my mother liked mashed vegetables and I, I, it, they made me – the texture of them made me feel sick, right? Yeah. So if there was mashed veggies, I wasn't eating them. But I tell you what, I was sat at that table until like it was dark again and ready for dinner – after yeah. lunch and that was like and I'm not saying that that was I'm not putting that blame on <laughs> you know parents it was very much a product of the era and it was also uh seen to be basically wasteful so if you didn't eat everything on your plate it was about waste it was about well you're wasting money or there's people that are starving in the world or all of these like these were the narratives yeah. And that would have come from there. You've got to remember that would have come from, you know, the post-war baby boomers as well. There was that – so there's a lot of psychology into that. There's a lot – you know, it's very steeped in a lot. But anyway, I was reflecting on that and how much I probably <laughs> screwed up all of that intuitiveness for me quite early on. Yeah, that, that can be a factor. Um, and it's funny because I see that manifest really commonly today, especially – um, especially in mums who are concerned about waste, you know, with that sort of upbringing in mind, but also from an environmental point of view. Mm. Another episode on like, mm. um, but yeah, so like really worried about wasting food and putting it into landfill so they'll eat right. it instead. So yeah, so it's amazing how many different influences we have on. Yeah. on and I'm not, and I just want to say very clearly, I'm not putting blame on anyone there it's just that was <laughs> that was how it was um yeah. but I'd be really interested if listeners if you're listening to this and you're like ah oh, Chloe yes that was similar in the era for me send me a message I'd love to have some camaraderie in that if that was a <laughs> that was a thing um you're not alone I'm not alone I'm not alone okay so yeah so anyway that was just really interesting is a lot of thought processes and a lot of talking points that have come up from the last two episodes on diet culture and then how do we get back to um, being in control of, uh, in control or being, that's probably, not, is that, that I don't think that's the right word, but, yeah, um, being the, control. sorry, it's not needing control. Sorry. That's yeah. 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 yeah love <laughs> it. Okay. Well, look, let's, let's, uh, we've had a, had a good, good catch up on that. So let's segue into the topic at hand today, which is <laughs> premenstrual syndrome, right? PMS. Yep. PMS, PMS, something which affects up to 80% of the female population but is sort of just swept under the carpet as something women have to deal with. Hmm. Oh, my God, I'm getting angry already, Chloe. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just sitting here going, what a, what a fucking shock. Uh, by the way, language <laughs> warning, oopsies. Um, but it just, it just doesn't surprise, like 
for the long for my whole life I've known that I get these bleeds every month and regardless of how that affects me physiologically and mentally guess what I need to do crack on I need to do I saw this great this great saying once um it was basically um whatever you can do I can do bleeding (laughs) and I was like boom whatever you can do I can do bleeding how true is that (laughs) can we get that on a t-shirt whatever you can do I can do bleeding yeah 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 um whatever you can do I can do PMSing like there's (laughs) like wow huh isn't that just so true Oh my god, I love that. I have to get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, like the amount of the amount that society and uh, and the workplace and everything just um, asks us to basically mask the the pain and discomfort we might be feeling, and also the psychological effects that we might be feeling and how that might be affecting our mood etc and we need to put on our put on our smile yes and we need to do it just like none of that's going on and just like none of that's going on every fucking month (laughs) I get PMS just quietly everyone or just loudly (laughs) Kate doesn't (laughs) so yeah there there you go I've done it in the past. I just don't get it now, which is fucking fantastic. Guess like, that must just be like, ah. <laughs> it's just, no, it's the just. The heaven's opening. <laughs> like, thank Christ. It, the relief there is is fantastic because, like, and I think that's a good point, is, like, you can, there are lots of things you can do to massively reduce your PMS. Like, I see it all the time in clients but we don't talk about it. We don't talk about PMS full stop and we don't talk about the things you can do. Mm. About it. One of the reasons we don't talk about the things you can do is because there's not a huge amount of research mm-hmm. because it's a female problem. Mm. and um, Lady problem. Yeah, it's a lady problem. <laughs> and um, those things with PMS and periods and menopause and perimenopause um, don't get a lot of research and funding. Mm. So, um, you know, that's changing a little bit now as more and more women, I think, probably move into science and we're talking about these things a little bit more. Mm. Um, but you can definitely do something about it. And, and, and what I really want to make very clear as everyone listens to this is if you've been to the GP at any time to maybe even like talk about PMS symptoms um, or heavy periods, anything related to that, you might have been told that, well, your symptoms are common and everyone gets them and basically you just need to pop some neurofin and get on with it. And I really want you to be very clear about this just because your PMS symptoms might be common, it does not make them normal. Mm. You get to decide what level of pain or discomfort or mood disturbances you're prepared to put up with and you can take action. Mm. Like 
not something you just sort of, you just like, you know, clock in with, tap on at age, you know, what, 12, 13 and tap off at, you know, 50. Mm. This is not something you have to put up with. Mm. And, and I think that the bullshit is that you do. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And the differences, it's, it's interesting too, um, my experience with going to see GPs, general practitioners, um, in regards to PMS or discomfort um, during periods, heavy periods, etc., etc., the most common go-to seems to be, okay, well, we'll medicate that. Let's just, let's just pop you on hormone, you know, medication. Yeah. As opposed to what are all the other elements we can – and, and I'm not here saying don't go on hormone medication if that, if that is right for you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's so much more holistically um, that we need and can look at that can help support these symptoms um, that really need to be given – as much airtime and again it loops back into what I said up front at the start of episode two um, which was we need to be informed and and if you're going in this is this is our bodies for crying out loud this is like something that's happening to us for a huge chunk of our life every freaking month right mm. and it's like where is the the broader psychosocial education around this like why when I go to a doctor is it like okay let's put you on the pill okay let's give you some hormone replacement therapy okay let's you, like yeah. yeah so so that's frustrating to me and I think that that also is frustrating because it kind of still sits me here at 44 copying PMS you know copying crappy periods all of these things um but I, yeah, so so let's dig. So that's what we want to do today in this episode. Kate's going to um, look at some ways nutritionally that we can help support PMS. And Kate's also going to like give us an explanation. Well, what is PMS? What is PMS? And what's going on with our cycle? Because I think that that's really informative for us to know as well. And I'm going to talk to um, a systematic review and meta-analysis that was done on exercise and can exercise be something that can actually help um, clinically uh, with symptoms of PMS so that's really what we're going to dive into right yes I already have some questions about the exercise I'm really interested in that so um but let's let's do a little um hormone 101 yes everyone. yes um, so before we jump into it yeah this is the this is what you've always spoken about before this hormone 101 the reason I want Kate to go through this is because again if you are of our vintage your sex education or reproductive organ education probably came somewhere in high school from a PE teacher for me I distinctly remember the male PE teacher in the class demountable, it was, I remember it was some really awkward, hot day. Here we were and there he was drawing up, you know, the classic, like the ovary and the fallopian tubes and you know the diagram. We've all seen the diagram and there he is at the chalk, yeah. drawing it up and that that's basically as much as I knew about anything. 
that's as much as I knew about my period until one day I just got it. And I was like, oh, oh this is it. <laughs> what? <laughs> this now? Every, what? <laughs> what? Like, so I, I hope that, uh, that in the newer generations, sex ed has come a long way since then. Um, but I think this is why we need to go through <laughs> some education now. Yeah. Oh, look, um, I see clients all the time who who understand very little about their cycle simply because we've never been told and then we sort of jump straight to how to manage bleeding and how not to get pregnant. Mm. Like that's it. There's no – so we know a lot about how to manage a period but we don't know a lot about ovulation, which is the star of your, like, menstrual cycle. Like this is the star of your show – and like your ovulation is a is a completely free report card on your health as well each month. Men don't get that. Mm. Um, so very quick little one oh one. Um, what's going on with your hormones when you get PMS? So day one of your period is the first day of your bleed, and from that day, um, the estrogen levels in your body. So one of the main female reproductive hormones in your body increases so steadily until the middle of your cycle. Let's imagine that you have a 28-day cycle. So we'll say that's day 14. Is this the luteal phase? No, this is the follicular phase. Okay, okay. Follicular so phase. follicles um, are ripening and um, on day 14 as your estrogen um, peaks, um, it will release the ripest egg, sometimes two but we'll release a ripe egg. So that's ovulation. This is when, this is your fertile period. This is when you can get pregnant. Gotcha. Once that egg has been released, estrogen has done its job and it starts to decline a little bit. Um, and the little egg sac from where that egg came starts producing progesterone. So that's your other main reproductive hormone in regards to your cycle. And that increases in the second half of your period. So that's the luteal phase. Right. Um, and ideally that should be going up and then coming down in this lovely dance with estrogen. And if you haven't fallen pregnant during that time, we get back to like the day before your bleed and, um, and then you start bleeding again and the cycle starts again. So if we're looking at that week before your bleed, ideally we want a really nice ratio between progesterone and estrogen mm -hmm. and when that gap is out um, for whatever reason whether you have higher amounts of estrogen whether you're not producing enough progesterone but when we see that your estrogen is higher than it should be and your progesterone is lower than it should be that's when we often see um, more severe PMS. Okay so PMS happens in the follicular stage? The luteal stage. The luteal so stage. Okay. So so help me out here. So days so days one to fourteen? Is that yeah, follicular? Day. Is that right? That's yes. Gotcha. And then the days from essentially fifteen yeah. to let's say twenty eight for you know, being very you know what I mean. Uh, that's your luteal. Everyone has different lengths. Right. So. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, so you've got that little, because you might have heard about PMS being related to high estrogen levels. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it's lower progesterone. It's not so much the hormone levels, but the gap between them. If you have too much estrogen in relation to progesterone, mm. that's where we see um, that's where we see more severe PMS. There, as I said, there's now more research being done, and it looks like sometimes it can happen in the reverse as well. But um, I mean, the science coming out of that is really promising. In any case, though, there's some th- there's things you can do to help both, um, like to optimize both of those hormones. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so PMS is dot dot dot. I'm getting you to fill that in. Ah, so <laughs> dot, dot, dot. PMS is a situation where your hormones aren't aren't being regulated ah. to their so, and your body normally can do this by itself. Your body can metabolize um, excess levels of estrogen and ideally produce the right amounts of progesterone, but there are some things that can get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. So the first two, um, genetics, thanks, mum. Like you may not have high estrogen levels, but you might have the genes that make your estrogen receptors super sensitive. Um, liver function. So your body is amazing and actually gets rid of excess estrogen either through your liver, super cool, or through your gut. Mm-hmm. And that's something we're going to talk about today, your gut. Um, because, ladies, um, how it gets, how excess estrogen gets metabolized through your gut is through your poo. And I was saying to Chloe earlier, I oh, can't She believe- loves talking about poo. How- I can't believe it's taking me to episode three to talk about poo. <laughs> Window to your gut soul. Um, <laughs> my clients get very comfortable talking about their poo. So, um, if you're getting rid of, you know, maybe half your excess estrogen through your poo, and you're not doing a daily bowel movement, like that can help enormously. So the so the extra estrogen then would. It recirculates through the body or what does it do? Like if you're not eliminating it, what what does it do? If you're not, if you're, you're spot on, Chloe, if you're not pooing it out um, and you have poor gut health, then um, there are certain enzymes in your gut which can um, like basically separate estrogen from the fibre that would basically cause it to be pooed out, sent back into circulation. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, so therefore elevates our estrogen and kind of puts our estrogen and progesterone out of whack. Yeah, out of whack. Mm, so look at me over here learning. You're a star. Hey! You're a star. And I feel like I've really got the handle now on follicular and luteal phases. So I'm like, right. yeah. <laughs> like that stuff should be taught at school. I think. Well, look, like- maybe, it, to be honest, maybe it was, but you know, gosh. <laughs> It feels like a <laughs> lifetime ago now. <laughs> so busy trying not to make eye contact with the male PE teacher. Oh, I just remember exactly. It was just all so awkward. I was just like, oh, this whole thing is painful. Um, okay, cool. Okay, so estrogen, right. So when our hormones are out of whack, yeah. so to speak, for whatever yeah. reason, um, we then get this thing called PMS, which yeah. is usually in that sort of that week-ish 
lead up to yeah. day one. I I know really distinctly when mine comes on. Um, I do track my periods um, and I found that really helpful. I'm sure many of our listeners do it as well. Um, I didn't used to. I was like, and then everyone's like, oh, don't you know what day your cycle you're on? I'm like, no. Um, and then I thought, oh, I might start tracking this just out of curiosity. And I actually found it very empowering to do that because I can literally, you know, I know what day I'm on, et cetera, et cetera. So I know if I'm having any strange bleeds or, yes. you know, symptoms that are a bit out of the ordinary. Um, but it's really interesting because I don't look at it all the time, you know, like, and particularly if there's nothing untoward going on, I don't really think about it until it's I get day one blade and I track that and track the end um but I tell you what it, I can tell I can tell the moment it's freaking PMS because it's just this gritty kind of like I'm a little bit edgy things feel a bit amplified a bit annoying mm-hmm. um sore boobs you know bloating Maybe there's a pimple that's randomly popped up on my chin. Don't you love getting pimples? Hey, don't you love getting pimples at 44? What? Far out. What? What? Like, was that not done when I was a teenager? Um, Seemingly not. Um, But, yeah, so it's really interesting how um, how spot on it is. And then I'll look, like, I'll look and I go, oh, interesting, let's look where I'm at at my cycle. And it'll be literally, like, five days out from day one. Yeah. So that's actually a really common um, time frame, like three to five days before. I've seen some women, though, who literally ovulate and then go into PMS. So they're losing, <gasps> they're losing like two weeks to PMS, a week to their period. Oh. They have sunshine no. each month. So ovulation is uh, day 14 approximately. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's look. They talk about it being the middle of your cycle, but if you have a longer period, if your period goes for like if your menstrual cycle is like more like thirty-five days, then your ovulation is probably happening around day twenty to twenty-one. Mm. Hopefully, um, everyone everyone will be different, um, and everyone's PMS symptoms will be different. I commonly see migraines, um, mm. and. I- joint pain as well on top of the symptoms that you described migraines are rough migraines are brutal that's um, rough gosh if you're getting that i'm lucky not to get well, fortunate i don't know I, who knows i don't know if it's luck or fortune but i get them sometimes but i don't get them monthly and i couldn't imagine how freaking horrible that is to get monthly mm-hmm. so that's debilitating. debilitating debilitating yeah that's the word yeah. isn't it you can't it's very hard to function through a migraine yeah, very hard to function through a bad headache, let alone a migraine. Yeah, and these women are going to work. Yeah, maintaining relationships. Yeah, um, like unbelievable, and not, and and we just don't talk about it because, mm. heaven forbid, you mentioned that at work. Mm. Um, so, and do you know what I love, Kate, about doing this podcast with you? Uh, I mean, there's many things. She's like, oh, God, what are you going to say here? Cut from the poo talk. Cut from the poo talk. But I, I, no, what I love is that I love that it, I, you know, I just feel like working with a female, I, I, you know, I'm just like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm probably going to have PMS on that day or I'm probably this or that. Like I wish we could be more open with it with men as well. But, and this is where I might get a little ranty, it's still so common that a dude will turn around like you're in any sort of 
oh. mood and go, are you on your period? Are yes. you Are you about to get your period? Like, yes. what do you want to know how to really fire up a woman? Say that to a dude. Say that to like, yeah. That's it's the same as it's the same as just calm down, just calm yes. down. <laughs> Telling someone to calm down or asking them if they're on their period because yep. they might like. Oh no 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 <laughs> So I feel like it's you know we're 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 talking about not being able to be open about this and just needing to crack on. And if you think too about the, a lot, you know, a lot of us will work in a workplace where there will be a large male presence there and potentially a lot of males in management and so on. Yeah. You can see why it has become this um, norm for women to whisper about it, it yeah. to, to not – say what's how they're really feeling in that moment and how they're being affected and what's going on because it's seen as then well does that mean that we are less capable than men because we are affected by this does this mean we are less valuable does this mean so it's so interesting isn't it like there's Mm -hmm. so much it's such a big nuanced discussion because Mm -hmm. then it is written off as she's on a period Oh, yeah. she's on a period. Watch out. Ooh, yeah. She's coming through. Ooh. Yeah. Don't it, upset it, her. Ah, uh, that pisses me off, that whole that whole diminishing of women. D- to- it's diminishing of us because but but there we are going and, you know, creating life. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if we choose not to create life, such as me, I'm still like it this does not diminish anything I've got. Like it's so, I don't know, there's so yeah. much here in this topic. But, yeah, okay, yeah. anyway, I just had to get that out there. Um, please, if there's any men listening to this, never say are you on your period as something to write off um, our viewpoint or our mood yeah. or our reaction to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. it's, it's such a uh, carpet sweep, isn't it? It's like oh. whatever like whatever your behaviour is yes. or whatever is it's like oh it has to be explained by and I think that's um oh and I've forgotten were we talking about that quote by Jane Goodall yes um it's there are so many difficult women because it's so easy to be one be one yeah you know there's that idea that when women get worked up about something when we get passionate about something when we start asserting ourselves there's that that subtext that oh you must be you must be PMSing you must be PMSing (laughs) so technically you and I must be PMSing um, right now Kate (laughs) oh god I think well in that case I'm PMSing every single fucking episode (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh I feel like I can't remember (laughs) Avengers Avengers movie it was I don't know but there's that scene where the Hulk like Bruce Banner finally turns up and I think Captain America says something about, you know, okay, Bruce, like we need the Hulk. It's time to get angry. And Bruce says, oh, that's my secret. I'm always angry. (laughs) (laughs) Like just assume I'm angry about something. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, I love it. There's so many. I feel like there's so many into like conversations in this. But okay. So we've, we've, (laughs) let's, let's talk about, okay. So, okay. We now understand, we know what PMS is, 
Yes. When it comes in the cycle, there's there's some sort of uh, imbalance going on between our our usually happy dancing hormones, estrogen yeah. and progesterone, who are usually exactly. doing, we want them to do this lovely dance together. But something's going on in that week leading up to day one of our bleed in the luteal phase um, yep. where, yeah, something's a little out of whack. So I guess what we need to think about then is what are ways we can do to help help bring them back into a happy dance? Absolutely. Did I so, explain that right? Uh, Chloe, that was beautifully summed up. Thank you. That was oh. beautiful. You're my star. Thank you. Star pupil today. Thank you. Thank That's you. You just hope everyone's absorbing this as well as you are because that was beautiful. Yeah, that happy dance. Like I really like us to think about our hormones as something that we're in partnership with. Mm. Estrogen can help us build muscle. Progesterone can help us feel calm. They both have other jobs in our body apart from just being reproductive and then that's a whole nother podcast but um i love that idea of that they are our partners they are part of our health mm. um and taking the approach of like how can we just regulate them how can we get them dancing back in time how can we mm. reap the benefits doing the waltz doing the waltz or something what? something I'm, I'm kind of envisioning these two hormones now just yeah. you know when you've you've learned the dance you know when you've not learned the dance and you're kind of like stepping on your partner's foot or kicking each other or one person's turning at the other time and oh, then yeah. and then all of a sudden it's just like this flow state yeah it's beautiful um so we're going to talk about now i have to say there is so many different supplements you can take to improve pms that's not something i can address in detail without knowing your um, particular mm. challenges and health history so we're going to talk broadly about what you can do with food um which is still very powerful and i have a bit of a rant coming but first of all let's <laughs> talk about my my poster child um mineral my all-time favorite something that you would have some of these foods in your house but one of the great minerals for reducing your pms is magnesium mm. oh my god what doesn't magnesium do um it's a mild muscle relaxant. It's good for anxiety. It's also good for PMS. And it's easily available in lots of different foods. Um, but one of the easiest ways to get almost half your recommended daily intake of magnesium is with two tablespoons of pumpkin seeds. Mm. Easy. That's it. Cheap. Get them at the supermarket. Um, Can I ask with pumpkin seeds? Um does you know how with some foods their their nutrients in them are more readily absorbed and available to us whether they're cooked or raw with yeah. pumpkin seeds do we need to be mindful of that no so yeah you're right especially with vegetables some of the yeah. um, vegetables are, are absorbed differently depending if they're cooked or raw no with pumpkin seeds you can just like pop them straight from the bag i recommend though with all nuts and seeds keeping them in the fridge oh. that their oils don't go rancid. That's just a little a tip there. Oh, that's a tip that I didn't know. I've never done that. Oopsies. <laughs> living, living you learn. <laughs> that's okay. I was, I was today's, today's year, today years old when I found out that tip. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> there you go. That one's there for free. Thanks, um, thanks, thanks. So... I'll pay you for the next one. Um, pumpkin seeds and look you know where you're eating them 
sprinkle them on your oats for your breakfast cereal in the morning. I like them sprinkled on avocado toast. Oh, yum. With, uh, throw them in a salad. They're delicious with sweet potato. Um, oh, yum. But, but, How are you doing them with sweet potato? Like sprinkling them on top or? Yeah. Oh, look, I throw them in normally after I've cooked my sweet potato, but you can throw them on at the end so they get a little bit toasty as well. Yum. Like it's so easy. Let's not let's not talk about anything that you can do to reduce your PMS that's adding to your mental load. So this is super easy. Okay. Well, I'm going yeah. out to buy some pumpkin seeds this week, so that's exciting. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing you can do is get some vitamin D. Mm-hmm. We know that getting enough vitamin D is also associated with less PMS. Mm-hmm. Um, and get vitamin D in some foods. Not a lot, though. It's in some dairy foods, some oily fish. But your body, again, how amazing are our bodies? Mm. Like we've talked about how amazing our boobs are. How amazing <laughs> is our, are our bodies? Because our skin actually manufactures vitamin D when it gets exposed to sunlight. Mm-hmm. So this is something I think we've all struggled with over the last couple of years. We've been in lockdown. Mm. To um, be honest, Kate, it can yeah. be a bit of a continual struggle in depending where you live. So yeah. I, when I lived in Sydney, my because I get my vitamin D checked. It's one of the things I check because I do tend to be on the lower side because I don't spend a yeah. lot of time in the sun. Um, in Sydney, incidental sunshine got me got me over the line. Um, since being back in Melbourne, however, I have dropped below the line again. So I am supplementing. Um, so I think it's one of those things too, and I'm sure you would agree that it's important to get checked because I mean, regardless, like apart from vitamin D being awesome for PMS, mental health, it's also imperative, um, for, um, bone production. So strong bones, you've got to have adequate vitamin D. Um, so again, if you're a Gen Xer, <laughs> you'd be wanting to really pack down those bones right now, right? We want to, we want to lay as much nice, strong bone as we head into menopause, um, where we'll be seeing that, that estrogen drop, etc. Cause all of this works together. So, um, vitamin D is really important for bone production. And actually my doctor that I recently saw when I got my bloods done, um, that was exactly her narrative as well. She's like, Oh, I want you doubling your vitamin D because yeah. let's get, let's have those bones strong as, and I'm like, Hey, I'm down with that. Yeah. And you're so right. The further South we go in Australia, the higher the prevalence of vitamin D deficiency. I think mm. the time I actually looked at, um, cause I have some clients in Tasmania and looking at their pathology forms actually underneath their vitamin D test results, it says, you know, the average, like 50% of Tasmanians will be vitamin D deficient in winter. That's when you go, but I mean, I guarantee that 50% of Tasmanians aren't supplementing, but that's what they consider to be normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so going- I find it really hard to get enough sun and I'm also mm-hmm. quite like, I'm, you know, I've got that classic yeah. sort of Irish, um, Scottish fair mm. skin as well. So I have, I'm, I'm, I'm a slip slop slap kind of gal. Yeah. Um, and really don't get a lot of a lot of sun. Yeah. So get get your vitamin D tested. That's a great way. Um, you know, if you're going for a walk, so I don't advocate going out in the midday sun, I'm fair as well, and I would 
burn to a crisp, but like 20 minutes of mid-morning or mid-afternoon sun on bare arms or legs can boost your vitamin D. And you can also boost your vitamin D with mushrooms. Yeah, you probably wanted to – everyone's like, hey, mushrooms? Do you want to like (laughs) – what sort of mushrooms, Kate? <laughs> what sort of mushrooms? Where are we going here? We're we going back to like now. I'm starting to get some flashbacks to early 2000 bush stuff day. No, I'm joking. Let's <laughs> talk to me about mushrooms, Kate. Not those sort of mushrooms. <laughs> I thought this was about to get really fun. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> writing this down for next podcast. <laughs> Mush- sort of mushrooms. So they're not magic mushrooms. What sort they're of mushrooms? Mag- they're not magic mushrooms. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> Because mushrooms are a fungus, so they, they're sort of like half animal, half plant. If you slice like a Did you just say they're sort of half animal? Yeah, half animal, half plant, I think is how you classify a, a fungus. Wow. So if you slice um, some but- button mushrooms, so like the really cheap ones, put them in the sun for 30 to 40 minutes, they will actually produce enough vitamin D to give you, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the study, I think it's at least... It's over 80%. I think it's close to 90% of your recommended daily intake of vitamin D. So that's just super cute. (laughs) Chop up your mushrooms, put them outside in the sun. Chop up your mushrooms, put them outside in the sun. How long? How long are we putting them outside for? 30 to 40 minutes. 30 to 40 minutes and then you eat them. Yeah, we don't have to eat them straight away. Um, Most of that vitamin D was retained with storage and with cooking. Yeah, super cute. Wow. But. Interestingly, okay, one of the food sources, though, of vitamin D, um, and I'm, I'm getting angry here. Oh, no. Yeah. You're going to have to. <laughs> angry um, warning incoming. <laughs> one of the food sources of vitamin D is in dairy. Dairy also contains magnesium. What is one of the most common social media headlines that you've seen in the past 10 years, um, I can guarantee it would be the whole don't eat dairy, it's inflammatory. And yet we know that one of the nutrients that helps reduce your PMS the most is calcium and dairy foods are the richest source of calcium. Right. And we also know that despite those headlines, the research is really strong that dairy is not actually inflammatory Mm. so like when I get upset about like bullshit women's health advice this is right up there at the top of the list now if you are allergic to dairy like then you are not going to be consuming it if you are lactose intolerant then that would affect your um you know, dairy choices as well. If you have chosen not to consume dairy because of environmental ethical reasons or any other reasons that are important to you, go for it. But we need to make sure you're getting calcium. Mm. Um, And I'm going to put in the show notes um, a link to a fabulous um, review of the clinical evidence Um, looking for inflammation with dairy products. It was a 2017 um, analysis. It was, I'm going to try and, oh, where was it? There we go. It was, oh, an assembly of 52 clinical trials 
looking at 98 measures of inflammation. So it's really easy to measure inflammation in the body. So this is not something you're taking a stab at the dark in. Mm. Um, and the results showed that dairy consumption actually has a weak anti-inflammatory effect. Mm. So yeah, link it in. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's um the I'll pop that in the show notes. So when we're talking about 52 clinical trials, they didn't just take one trial of 12 people. They tried to find as many trials as possible and combined them all and looked at the overall results. Mm. Which so was it a systematic review? That's, um, analysis. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. So um, that's, it's really interesting. Um, and there's actually, there's a couple of others as well. There's another 2019 that was a systematic review um, of, that was only 16 studies, but they found the same results as well. But the research is overwhelming that dairy is not inflammatory if you don't have a dairy allergy. Um, oh, awesome. Awesome. So, so nutritionally so far, just to bring in a little summary, yeah. um, and this is all about, again, helping support um, our PMS symptoms. So this is supporting us during that that week leading up to our period and I'm assuming that all of these things are good to do throughout yeah. the entire the entire <laughs> month um, we're looking at magnesium we're looking at vitamin D and we're looking at calcium yeah they're the three big ones b6 and zinc have also been shown to be really effective but that's where you need to be talking to a practitioner getting your diet reviewed getting some really quality advice about if you need to supplement and with what. Mm. Um, but Chloe, you know what, I'm really interested in, in, in learning more about the exercise study that you looked at. Oh, yeah. So um, so I, when we've spoken about this before, and I know I sort of said to you, oh, you know, like anecdotally exercise helps me um, when I'm, you know, experiencing PMS. And I've also found that actually exercising so for me that's something like um doing pilates or going for a run i find running really helpful etc and doing that throughout my period as well i have found has helped um with pain um and symptoms yeah so it's like okay well we we i know all this anecdotally well what does the science tell us so i was curious to know if anyone had actually done studies explicitly seeing the effect of exercise and does it reduce PMS symptoms? So, turns out, yes. Also turns out, not a huge amount of studies and not a huge amount of high-quality studies. Um, what a surprise. Surprise, surprise. Okay, so that was no surprise. But when I'm looking at what studies are out there, I'm typing in systematic review, meta-analysis, and can we get something that's relatively recent. So we will link to this in the show notes, um, but this is what I've been looking at. This study was called Exercise for Premenstrual Syndrome, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials. This was by Pierce et al. 2020. Okay. Nice. So awesome. So basically they looked at well, what, what fit in with their, with their search criteria and um, they managed to find approximately, not approximately, they managed to include 15 um, studies in this. So not a huge, you know, when you're talking about the one you looked at, it had 50, right? Yeah, 15 not huge. I mean, it's not nothing, but it's not huge. 
Um, the reasoning behind this is exercise is recommended as a treatment for premenstrual syndrome in clinical guidelines, but this is currently based on poor quality trial evidence. Yeah. So with this study, they aim to systematically review the evidence for the effectiveness of exercise as a treatment for PMS. So actually as a treatment, like can we, can, if, if someone's showing up to the doctors and saying, hey, I have PMS, is it good guideline-based care to say, okay, well, we need to include exercise as mm. part of your treatment, right? So that's what they're looking at. Um, now, the, the trials that were included in this, um, the exercise interventions were given for a minimum of eight-week duration. So it was between eight and 12 weeks. Um, okay. so, so that's interesting. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Here we go. So Exercise, I thought this was a really nice um, summary and I feel like you will like this, Kate. They've mm. written that exercise is known to increase endorphin levels, right? So that's, we know that, the feel-good feel good hormones. And we know that um, they've done lots of exercise studies on um, exercise and its effect on mental health, right? Um, so this is, you can see how this could link in with PMS, yeah. Um, exercise is known to increase endorphin levels to help regulate progesterone and estrogen synthesis mm -hmm. and to encourage the production of endogenous anti-inflammatory chemicals. Yeah. Could you, do, what, can you sort of tell me what that means a little more? Endogenous I mean, anti-inflammatory. Yeah, I'm going to talk, yeah, absolutely about that. So we know that the pain that comes with PMS is inflammatory. Right. So reducing anything that has an anti-inflammatory effect is is going to reduce the pain so i'd be interested in in looking ah, at or interesting um, success like w were those markers mainly reduced pain symptoms mm. um because that's what i'd be thinking so mm, yeah. okay so also they've got the exercising also brings other beneficial benefits uh sorry brings other benefits such as improved overall fitness opportunities yeah. to socialize the yeah. potential for reduction in feelings of depression all yeah. of which may help to moderate the symptom profile in pms okay oh i love this cool right i know i was reading that and i'm like this is a study i can get around um this group is cool go pierce at l your legends uh, yeah. someone recently said wouldn't it be cool if we could so for those that are listening that are not so familiar with studies and at l at l is basically a way of including it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of including all the other people that were involved in putting together <laughs> that research um so you want to be the first person <laughs> because otherwise you get re relegated to et al um yeah. so you know it might be if kate and i did a study together <laughs> maybe it'd be kate et al i'd be like oh i'd be spinner at l i'm like hey i'm at l and someone <laughs> someone said wouldn't it be cool if it, instead of et l they said gang so it's piercing gang yeah spinner <laughs> and gang <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with gang. Um, so anyway, so here we go. Let's have a little uh, more of a look at this. What so, sort of exercise did they look at? There yeah, a yeah, yeah. So with exercise, they looked at a broad range and that's the thing. So they didn't in this study look at what is the best exercise for PMS. They just looked at does exercise 
which is a very broad range, does exercise help with PMS? So they looked at everything from aerobics um, to Pilates to yoga to swimming to weightlifting. Nice. Right? So it's a broad, it was a broad range. Um, most of the exercise interventions were three times a week. Yeah. Um, interestingly, and this is why we're talking about, I'm, I'm so glad you've given me a good explanation of follicular and luteal. None mm. of the studies looked particularly just at the luteal phase. So the exercise was given throughout the cycle. Yeah. Whole cycle. Um, sadly, none of the studies were followed up afterwards as, so there's no like, does exercise help in the long term? It was kind of like it just went to whether it was the eight or 12 week mark and that's where the study ended. There wasn't actually any longitudinal follow-up, which is a bummer. Um, yeah. And again, we need more research there. The age range of the participants were between 17 and 34. Okay. So, so sadly, no Gen Xs in that, it would seem. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, I guess they've kind of gone, well, we're not going to bother with perimenopause. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. But anyway, that was the age range. What was interesting, though, with this is that the studies conducted were um, predominantly in Iran, um, Egypt. Uh, so 12 trials were conducted in Iran. So the predominant the amount, amount were in Iran. So there is some questioning in the findings as to whether there's also, you know, um, social, you know, what does what does PMS mean for one lot of people to another lot of people? Who knows? Yeah. Like, is there implications in there too? Which I think was quite interesting. Um, but anywho, let's continue. A range of exercise interventions were assessed, as I said, anywhere from aerobic, yoga, Pilates, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lot of them were done, the majority of the trials were, were done supervised in and group exercise and were completed as group exercise. So interesting to, to know, uh, we do know that um, when we're thinking biopsychosocial, right? So yeah. that, that social um, yeah. interaction and support um, and all of that can help us feel better right? So it's interesting. I mean, there's so many nuances that we could pull out of all of this. Um, And here we go. All, so study results, all 15 of the included trials reported that exercise significantly decreased symptoms of PMS, Mm. physiological and psychological. Oh, nice. And by significant meaning there was a statistical measurable impact right that it was actually creating quite a difference mm. yeah that's fantastic yeah so a, a, you know a plausible difference now strengths and limitations and this is where it's interesting so it's important to note that with any sort of research done in regards to exercise so controlled randomized trials we know are good but mm. also it's not like with a drug trial where you can blind someone the double blind study the double blind study right um, you can't do that with exercise. So if I'm if I'm in the group that's getting exercise or not getting exercise, well, I know what I'm getting, right? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So it, that, that makes it harder to be of good quality. Um, mm-hmm. And also the fact that there were so many different, it wasn't the one sort of exercise. Um, it wasn't, everyone wasn't given the same, you know, amount. Uh, the exercise, the exercise interventions um, range from eight to 12 weeks and the length of the session from 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, look, uh, the results, they're basically saying these results should be interpreted cautiously. And this is why when we read studies and look at studies as well, it's important that we don't just jump to like, hey, it said it's, it's awesome and it's going to work. <laughs> You know, we've got to look a little deeper. How how good quality was yeah. was the studies that we had to look at? And you know, these researchers are very clear that there was there was absolutely a positive impact. Yeah. Okay, the the actual um, systematic review and the meta analysis was done very rigor very rigorously, etc. However, the quality of the individual fifteen trials in regards to what was the intervention, what was the demographic, etc., and how can we relate that to a general population? That's what we've got to be cautious of. Okay. Um, so no studies followed up, as I said, uh, post, which is a bummer because we can't see, um, if there was a long-term effect. Mm. 12 of, this is what I was saying, 12 of the 15 included trials were conducted in Iran, where although the prevalence of PMS is similar to that of the UK, uh, the cultural meaning, and I'm reading specifically from the findings here, the cultural meaning around women's health and healthcare more generally may make these results less applicable for some UK women. So that's interesting to look at as well when we're looking at studies. Um, they recognise that though. Pardon? It's nice that they recognise that. Yeah, that yeah, totally. Um, and most studies recruited small sample, small samples and many did not include a clear description of the interventions assessed, making classification difficult. Mm. However, here we go. This systematic review provides some further support for clinical guidelines that recommend exercise as an effective treatment for PMS. The secondary analysis conducted also provided new evidence that exercise might be useful in alleviating specific psychological, physical and behavioural symptoms associated with PMS, as well as assisting with the management of the global symptom profile. Okay? Um, primary healthcare professionals may wish to advise patients that exercise might, and remember these are the words, we can't say definite. So mm. advise patients that exercise might help reduce their PMS symptoms, but they should do so with caution until better quality evidence becomes available. Um, could we just get a could we get some better fucking quality? <laughs> like, come on. like if I have to read one more systematic review or meta-analysis on something that's got to do with women's health yeah such as pms such as pelvic organ prolapse and the freaking conclusion says low quality evidence better quality needs to be done so that we can help people with something that we think it looks like it's going to help but let's get some good quality like where's the funding so frustrating. Oh, there's no funding for stuff like this. Ooh, Unless... Sorry, I just had a rage moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just need to self-soothe for a second. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. Oh. Um, oh. Yes. 
you know, if, if a company could come up with a pill that would absolutely like reduce PMS, you know, beyond just natural pain, like beyond pain suppression. Mm. Um, so, so it's would... not just a drug. So it's not just the pill. So it's not just like. Nurofen. Nurofen. Yeah. So, so Kate, so my takeaway though from this, and, and again, you know, when we're looking at it, it, systematic review, meta-analysis, tick, tick, yeah. right? Okay, cool. They didn't have a huge quality of uh, research to work with, but, you know, th- that's what they did. And the, the other thing that was interesting that when I read this study, they also said um, in the conclusion that their findings in this um, review were mm. – were the same as an earlier review conducted by a different team on the same subject. So we are consistently seeing that exercise does seem to help alleviate alleviate not only the physiological but also the psychological aspects of PMS. Yeah, and what what I what really stuck with me from from when you were reading some of those key findings is that you know, you don't, two things, you don't have to be hitting the gym every day, Ah, like you mentioned, exercising three times a week, you know, that's fantastic. Um, You don't need to be punishing yourself. And the other thing that I really liked was that it was a range of different movement. Mm. Oh, see, I love that you love that. And actually, now you're tapping into that as well. We saw that the session times were from 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. So... Cool. And I mean, for general health, I mean, this can be a subject of an of another episode, but just mm-hmm. to get in your general, you know, if we look at the WHO recommendations on general health and well-being from an exercise perspective, I mean, we want to be getting in just for general health, um, 150 minutes plus of moderate paced cardio yeah. a week, right? And two to three resistance sessions so we could tie all of this in and you know be helping our pms Mm -hmm. at the same time as helping our general well-being without it becoming this you know as you said it's not something you have to become a slave to yeah, don't, you don't want to do anything that adds more to your mental load. It's like, oh, my God, I've got to go and do my PMS. I've got to go do oh, my I've got to do my PMS workout. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, although yeah. to be fair, when I do have PMS, I literally go, I literally go, what could help me in this moment? Because I know for myself, before reading this study, I know for myself that if I go for a walk or a run or jump on my – whatever, do a bit of Pilates, I actually know it is going <laughs> to – modify my symptoms so I actually do say to myself oh Chloe yeah cool what's something you can do to um feel better with with what's going on symptom wise right now and I do go okay it's pretty much I'm gonna go and do my PMS exercise and I think I think that you know that the the reduction in symptoms seen with exercise ties in with with literally the the only other thing I have to add um, today that I can say in a general sense, and that is stress management can help support healthy progesterone levels and mm. exercise is a fantastic way to manage your stress. Mm, yes. And there's so, a multitude of studies on that. That's it, you know, and 
So if you're ticking some of those boxes, if you are, you know, adding those two tablespoons of pumpkin seeds somewhere to your day, if you're um, knowing where you're at with your vitamin D um, and maybe giving your mushrooms a little sun bath as well. <laughs> the the passion mushrooms, not the magic. No, and not the not the super expensive like exotic ones either. You don't have to like sell off your firstborn to get your vitamin D mushroom. <laughs> Um, Which in my case would be Malibu. I'm not selling Malibu. Either. No, I don't sell Malibu. No. Um, and if you know where you're getting your calcium from, either through dairy foods or some supplementation, again, you'd need individual device, uh, advice here. Um, you know, are you having a daily bowel movement? And can you incorporate movement, you know, different movement that you enjoy into your week, like where 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 you can? That sounds like some really proactive tips there. Yeah, I love that, Kate. And also we didn't delve into it in today's episode and I think we should do a designated episode on gut health because I'm so intrigued by that and uh, I'm sure our listeners are and I do believe it's not just as simple as popping a, um, uh, what are they called? Probiotic. (laughs) Probiotic. (laughs) I'm like, what are they called? I do have them in my fridge, but what are they called? Um, Yeah, it's not. So I'm really interested in that. So let's do a designated um, episode on gut health and let's let Kate talk about poo because we know she wants to. Um, I'm here for the poo. Let's let's do (laughs) it. Boobs, bra fittings. Boobs, poo, Um, periods. We've spoken about pimples. Yeah. Like... Oh, hairs on chins. Like, what the fuck is going on with <laughs> after 40? There are no taboo subjects. Here. There are no taboo subjects here. This There's is, no, this is, no, there is no whispering, my friends. This is, no. so if you want us to talk about something specific that you've got on your mind, please engage with us. Send Kate and I a DM. You can get us on our designated Instagram um, for the podcast, which is at no BS women's health podcast. Or you can get us on our individual um, Instagrams. All of these are in the show notes, so you can easily click and find us. If you're like, I don't do Instagram, and that's so fine as well, please reach out to us via our website. Um, There is a a way to contact both of us on there. So um, on our individual websites, again, in the show notes. But um, Kate, I loved this chat. This was good. This felt cathartic. Yeah, it felt cathartic and it felt um, it felt useful and helpful and um, yeah, like I I really want I really hope we get to a point where we can be in a, a workplace with both male and female and be able to you know when someone says oh how are you feeling like and that maybe that's a male to a female colleague and they said how are you feeling and it would be totally acceptable for you to say hey well actually. I'm feeling great today. Got some PMS and that's, you know, affecting me in this way. And instead of that being like, oh, recoil, be like, ah, I'm sorry you're feeling like that. You know, is there anything I can do to help support you? Just like if you asked that person, the other person, flip it around and said, how are you feeling today? And they said, oh, actually, I've got this going on. Or, you know, I've got a sore arm or my back's a bit sore or I've got it, you know. Yeah, that's it's it's. You know, it potentially affects 50% of the population. There is no reason. Wait, didn't you say, oh, 50% of the population. Yes, yes, fi- affects 50% of the population, 80% of that 50%. 
yeah, so um, that's just, it's just obscene. It's just obscene that we don't talk about PMS. Yeah, and, and that we don't talk about it in, um, in, a, in a respectful way. Yeah, it's an insult. It's an insult. I, that's that's what I'd really like to change. Um, that fact that it feels like that. Well, that fact that it, it is used as an insult that needs to that needs to stop because you know this is part of being a woman. This is this is what we live. Yeah. Okay, well, so wonderful talking to you, Kate, as always. I can't wait for what's a little what what's a little teaser of our have we decided what we're going with next? Are we gonna kill burnout next. Both burnout. 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 That's it. There is some juicy stuff there. Um the struggle is real. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of things. And I know you know there'll be um lots of hot tips yep. with that. Really looking for that. Uh, really looking forward to that. So please, if you have found this helpful, let other listeners know why. Leave us a review. Uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. And I do believe Spotify now allows for reviews. For some reason, doesn't on mine. Maybe I need to update my app or something. Um, but definitely on the Apple Podcast. Uh, if you can leave us a five star, that helps us get seen by more people. Particularly helpful as a new podcast on the blog. And even better if you can write down what you have found helpful and why others can benefit from listening. We'd really appreciate that. Mm, yes, that would be awesome. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Chloe. Thanks, See you everyone. Bye.